Hi, it's Michelangelo Caruso coming to you a couple days after the announcement that former President George Herbert Walker Bush has passed away. It's always a moment of inflection and reflection when a past president dies, but I've been thinking about President Bush in more deeper ways than I normally do when a president passes because I had the great pleasure of meeting the man when we spoke at the same event after he had left office. More about that in a minute. Uh, as happens when people die, there's a, there's a listing of all of the person's great accomplishments and what they've achieved in their life. And this guy has had the most amazing, amazing life. He served his country for over 70 years. He, he was married over 70 years, another type of service. He was one of the youngest combat pilots ever to serve in the Navy. His plane was shot down. Two-thirds of his crew died. Bush himself was pulled out of the water in a dramatic rescue by a submarine, of all things. He graduated from Yale, in, and somebody told me he graduated in three years, so I Googled it up, you know, Bush, three years, Yale, nothing came up. And the reason was he graduated in two and a half years from Yale. Unbelievable. And just had the most incredible life. Uh, oddly, he only served one term as president of the United States. Although he was very strong abroad, his domestic policies were not viewed as very dynamic. And in the election that he lost, there was a guy by the name of Ross Perot running as an independent who siphoned votes away from both Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. Anytime there's a serious third party entry in an election, that changes the numbers quite a bit. But Bush also lost because he was his own worst enemy when it came to speaking and public image. I take a vital interest in this, of course, because I teach presentation skills. I have a, an online course called Present Like a Pro, and uh, I'm going to get this lesson in front of my students next week. So uh, I have two stories about how time and the clock really got in the way of President Bush uh, when he was speaking. He reviewed himself, perhaps uh, not unkindly, perhaps accurately, when he said, quote, uh, I may not be the most eloquent, but I learned early that eloquence won't draw oil from the ground, end quote, Bush said in a 1988 convention speech. He also said, quote, I may sometimes be a little awkward on stage speaking, but there's nothing self-conscious in my love of country. I am a quiet man, but I hear the quiet people. Others don't, end quote. Bush said, vowing to fight for, quote, a better America for an endless enduring dream and a thousand points of light, end quote. Now, the thousand points of light and the kinder, gentler uh, quotes that he is so famous for, of course, were written by speechwriters such as Peggy Noonan. It makes you wonder why more politicians, more presidents don't have really good speechwriters. But even a good speechwriter can't help you get you out of your own way if, if that's not meant to be. So um, in a recent obituary article, uh, one journalist wrote, in many ways, Bush paid a price for ragged presentation skills even before his 1988 presentation, uh, presidential campaign, there were questions about his political fortitude. Newsweek, Newsweek magazine, which in pre-social media days had immense power to set the political media narrative, 
published a cover story questioning whether the president was beset by, quote, the wimp factor. Whoops. <laughs> I mean, think about this. People, people make decisions about us based on only two things, and those two things are the types of signals that we send them, either verbal signals or nonverbal signals, such as gestures, facial expressions, tone, that sort of thing. And, uh, and this, is, this is, you know, how the public, many people in the public viewed him as he developed his political reputation. So the two stories that, uh, about the clock are, are fascinating, and I'll kind of weave these into, a, into my meeting with President Bush when we spoke at the same event. By the way, it was an international convention. It was a telecommunication convention, of all things. And he was on the speaking circuit, right? And he, at the time, was probably pulling down 80 or 100K per speech. And uh, he was a keynote at that event, and I was a breakout session at that event. I think President Bush spoke to 2,000 people. I probably spoke to 20 people. But I knew the executive director for this association, and I got invited to the VIP ceremony to meet the keynote speaker, which was the former president of the United States. Now, I wasn't a big uh, George Bush fan at the time, because I didn't think he was that good of a speaker. But he was fabulous at this event. Somehow, after, after presidents get out of the Oval Office, they become human, they become really relatable again. And on stage, of course, he had the best content anybody could ever have. He was married to Barbara Bush. That's a 20-minute stand-up routine right there. His son uh, had been president or was president. That's another 20 minutes. Um, and then, of course, all the great things that happen to a leader when he's in office. I mean, the guy had terrific content. He had become funny and relatable, and he killed it that day. He was very, very enjoyable. But it rem uh, something happened that day with the clock, and I, I witnessed it, but it reminded me of a, of a second situation where the clock really harmed him. You might remember when he was debating Ross Perot and Bill Clinton on national television, he did a famous faux pas. It's all over YouTube if you want to search it. And the, uh, the faux pas was that while either Perot or Bill Clinton was speaking, uh, President Bush, then president, incumbent at the time, right, running for his second term, which should have been a no-brainer, right, he looks at his watch during, during the debate, and it sent a signal, a nonverbal signal to anybody watching that, oh my gosh, what's this guy's got to do that's more important than, than this debate right now? But it, it just looked like he was distracted or preoccupied and it didn't play well in the media and it hurt him in the debate. I witnessed the second strange experience that he had with a clock, again in public, in front of 2,000 people at that event. He did an interesting trick that some speakers do when they begin a speech. You know, he, he brought his written copy, which was in a nice leather binder or whatever that day, and he put it on the podium, as most speakers do, and he opened the binder, and, and as he began his talk, he was addressing the people that had invited him to the conference. He was talking about how good it was to be back in Nashville or wherever the event was, and I'm watching as he takes off his watch. Now, I know as a professional speaker, I know he's taking off his watch, not so that he can be comfortable, but so that he can keep an eye on his time. Perhaps President Bush, more than anybody, was taught the lesson that if you have to, you know, punch out your sleeve like this to, to, to raise the sleeve off of your wristwatch so that you can then look at your wristwatch, it's way too obvious. 
And if anybody knows this lesson, it's him, right? And so he never wants to do this again. So what's he do now? Somebody, some speaker coach told him to take off your watch and then you don't have to do this, right? <laughs> so he takes off the watch, which to me is just as obvious. And he places the watch on the podium where he can keep an eye on his own time. Now, this is also curious to me because if he's on the circuit, if he's getting 100K a, a gig, and if he's given roughly this same speech ever since he left office, he probably has some sort of internal clock of when he should be wrapping up the speech. Uh, if nothing else, it's when he gets to the last page of his talking points, he's got to be pretty close to the 40-minute mark. And yet, curiously, he still takes off his watch and he puts it on the podium. Well, here comes the best part. <laughs> he gets to the end of his speech, and you know he's wrapping up based on his verbal cues. And, and even though he's, he, his internal clock is telling him that he's wrapping up, his talking points are telling him that he's wrapping up, he starts to look for something on the podium and you see him violate the speaker, the thing that you, all, never speakers are supposed to do. He starts flashing his papers around. So not only are you getting a visual cue that, that he's a little disorganized or he's lost something, but you're hearing, you're hearing the papers flap, right? So anybody that's done a lot of public speaking knows that when you're, and I'll, I'll demonstrate here, when you're reading off of uh, pages, you don't flip the pages like this where everybody can see what's happening. You just slide the pages like this quietly, right? Nobody sees anything. Nobody hears anything. I would be doing this uh, underneath the view of the, anybody that's watching. So instead of doing it, you know, surreptitiously, he's, he's now flashing the papers, maybe because he's relaxing a little, because he knows the worst is over. I've, I've completed my speech. But it occurs to me in the audience that he's looking for something. Now, what on God's green earth could he be looking for at this late hour of the speech? And then it occurs to me, he's lost his watch. <laughs> he's looking for his wristwatch among all of the papers or whatever else is happening on the podium. And sure enough, at some point, he sets the papers down and the wristwatch comes into view. He puts the wristwatch on again in full view of the audience and, and mission is accomplished, right? So I thought it was an interesting second adventure with the clock uh, in public on stage when you're supposed to be doing what most speakers are taught to do, which is for getting your audience to forget all about time. Like when I'm on stage talking, I want people to forget all about time. It's like, it's like being in a Vegas casino, baby. You know, no clocks. No clocks allowed. I'm not talking about time. I'm not asking about time. I want you to focus 100% on what I'm talking about. And for some reason, President Bush never actually got past that little bump. Um, it didn't mean that he was any less of a speaker. It's just I learned something from everybody I watch speaking, and perhaps you do too if you're a student of the game. We learn what to do, and we learn what not to do. Finally, um, we want to mark the resting of one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. He ushered us through the what was called the soft landing of the Cold War. And uh, he was, uh, uh, and, and it'll, be, it'll come out this week from all kinds of world leaders that he was the perfect man for the perfect time and uh, will be well remembered in history. The 41st president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, dead at 94, everybody. Thanks very much for all you do. If you're a patriot in the United States, let's have a kind thought for the Bushes and, and what must be a difficult time for them. 
Thanks very much for listening. If you uh, like these types of communication tips, if you like these types of stories, you can get more on my website at michelangelocaruso.com. And you can also be notified of new videos on YouTube by subscribing to my channel on YouTube, Michael Angelo Caruso. Thanks very much, everybody. And we'll see you soon.